0: The following audio is from a sermon series from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-16. through 16. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. I'm the pastor around here. I've got a couple announcements as we're getting things settled. We have, we're hosting a real marriage conference Saturday, March 1st. It's going to be right here at the Junior Theater. Pastor Mark Driscoll, we're piping him in through video. It's going to be kind of an all-day thing. It's twenty dollars for a couple, fifteen dollars for individuals. This is for if you're engaged. This is if you're single. Um, it's going to be. I guarantee you, it's going to be funny. It's going to be good. Uh, pastor Mark is uh, a phenomenal, top-rate communicator. Uh, number one downloaded pastor in the world on iTunes. Um, he he's the one who founded our network, Acts Twenty Nine. So you're going to get to hear from him uh, called Real Marriage. So you can find out more information by going to our website, Sacred City Church com by clicking on the link there. There'll be a big banner up there and then signing up. You have to sign up because we are catering in food. So you have to choose what type of food you want. We're catering that in. And uh, that, again, that's March 1st. So ask for it off. Uh, talk to your boss, put it in, whatever. And then secondly, we have a visitor forum uh, right after our service today. So following our gathering right next, right next door in the cottage, we have a visitor forum. If you're new to Sacred City, you just want to ask me some question. You want to ask, find out about our vision, find out where we come from, find out a little bit about what we do, why we do, how we do it. Um, come on over. We've got lunch provided for you, a light lunch provided for you. And you can, it's really informal. You can sit down with us and, uh, ask some questions. So that is that. And, uh, actually my last thing, um, our weather around here is awful, right? Let's just, let's just go there. And, uh, one thing that I'm asking all of us to do, if you're a member at sacred city, or you just come regularly, and you call this place, your home, please. And you're not like, you know pregnant or some, some something like that, please park behind the the cottages over here, park behind the cottages there 's plenty of parking over there, um, and actually, when it gets a little nicer, we can park down at the pool. that leaves this whole parking lot out front here for visitors, for newcomers, for those with little little kids um, so please op- leave this open for us because um, We've got some seats. You know, we can, we can still grow. We've got a balcony up there. We can still grow, but our parking is getting pretty tight. So if you could help us out by parking a little bit farther away, uh, we would really appreciate that. That's it. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in this morning. Father, we do adore you. We do worship you, and that we're not here to um, discover kind of the purpose for our life outside of you, that it can only be found in you, that goodness and joy and peace, and love can only be found in you, that you are the highest good. You are the ultimate good. And this morning, we want to dig down into the word that you've given us, the scripture, the revelation of yourself that you've given us. We want to dig down in that, and we want to mine for gold. We want to find some some uh, diamonds and some rubies and some 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 jewels, some things that are really going to intrigue us, that are going to move us, are going to bring us to worship. We want to dig down into your word and discover that. So would you help us? We know we can't do that without your spirit. We can't understand it without your spirit. So would you help us? Would you anoint my mind to think your thoughts and uh, to speak your word? And would you know in our ears to hear what you would have to say to your church, that you are a living God who speaks to your people. So would you do that this morning for your glory and for our joy? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to do some heavy lifting this morning, so I hope you have a Bible. Um, If you don't, open it up, maybe open a Bible up on your app, on your iPad, on your phone, on whatever knockoff iPad you have, uh, knockoff iPhone you have, wannabe iPhone you have, and uh, download that. Bible app, whatever it is, or we've got some Bibles in the back for you. And I'm going to let you know, um, I went with 10 other dudes from our church up to the Desiring God conference this week. We were in Minneapolis. Um, only the Spirit of God can cause people to go north during the winter. Okay, I'm just going to say that. All right? No, no. Clear thinking individual goes north at this time of year. But anyways, we went up there and we heard some phenomenal preaching. It was just a great, great time to to get away and and be under the the preaching of the word of God. But what that does is that takes me out of my my normal routine and I am a man of routine. And uh, so I basically have three less days to work on the sermon and prepare and pastor and do all the things. So I'm just going to let you know the sermon... um, This text is very heavy, this text is very deep, this text is a little complicated, and um, usually a great sermon takes things really complicated and makes them as simple as possible. Well, I got from here to about right here this week, (laughs) all right? So I'm going to pray that the Spirit helps us, but it's going to be some heavy heavy lifting. So we're going to be going a couple different places in our Bibles, and it might be a little difficult, um, but I'm just asking the Spirit to bless it and uh, make it work this morning, all right? So let me go ahead and start off by this um, to kind of give you a little backstory. Jesus has famously told this dude named Nicodemus, all right? Nicodemus was a really good guy. He was a religious man, a moral man, an upright man, a man that people would look at and go, man, this guy's got it together. And this guy, when Jesus was teaching, uh, he was a religious leader, and he heard that Jesus had been teaching, and he kind of snuck away at night. To go visit Jesus. Like, I'm going to go check this Jesus guy out and see what this Jesus guy has to offer. Maybe he can help my spiritual searching and my spiritual life out a little bit. Maybe give me a couple things I can do to be a little better and and look a little better and maybe be a little more pleasing to God. So this guy named Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night in John 3. And uh, Jesus does what, uh, (laughs) the exact opposite of what Nicodemus was looking for. Jesus kind of blows his whole paradigm. And Jesus says this, listen, if you want to know God, if you want to know God, if you want to enter into his kingdom, Jesus has famously said, all you have to do is be born again. And this like brain melt right here for Nicodemus, he literally goes, how am I supposed to climb back in my mother's womb? Like, just completely paradigm, just destroying, right? And Jesus says, no, you must be born. Everybody has to be born. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born twice. You have to be born by water, normal birth. And then you have to be born by the Spirit. And he says, only the Spirit can give new life. Only the Spirit can cause a person to be born again. There's no other way to God. You must be born again. And now this is interesting. What Jesus was saying right there is that every single person who comes to faith, every single person who becomes a Christian, you hear that, becomes a Christian, no one's born one, right? Everyone who becomes a Christian enters into the kingdom as a spiritual infant, when you enter the Christian faith, you come in as a spiritual baby. You are as dependent, as immature spiritually as a newborn baby is physically. Now, you could be 75 years old. You could be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You could have multiple PhDs. But when you come to Christ, you come in as a spiritual infant. That is incredibly Humbling, even humiliating. Because if we think about it, we know how selfish, how whiny, how needy babies are, right? How uncooperating babies. My daughter, Piper, she's, she's 19 months, right? So she's not a, an infant, but she's a toddler. And she's completely uncooperating. If we need her to take a nap, guaranteed she won't take a nap, Right? Mom needs a nap. Baby, please take a nap. Baby won't take a nap. Today, she looked really cute. Mom had a cute outfit on. She had a little cute little beanie on. She's ready to go. I said, oh, Piper, let me take a picture. Flop. I'm like, no, stand up. Let me take a picture. Flop. Let me take a picture. Squat down. Turn around. She refuses to pose for a picture. Refuses. Absolutely refuses. Finally, I got one of her just spread out like this on the ground. I'm like, all right, that'll have to do. Right? That's babies. They're uncooperative. They are immature. Right? Now, listen, I'm not saying they are cute. They are cute as all get out. Right? But that's mostly when they're asleep. When they get hungry, they cry and they fuss. When they're awake, they scream and they poop. Right? That's about it. They can't. Listen, think about just how helpless. They can't even feed themselves. Right? You're on the couch. Baby cries. There's no, go to the kitchen to get it. Right Go open the fridge and just figure find something out, right? Three, four, five, maybe, but not babies. They do nothing productive. Many of us value uh, our lives. We value being a a, a, a a good member of society is what we can add. Well, guess what? Babies don't add any value to society. they don't pull their weight, right. And Jesus says, when we come to faith, when people, anyone comes to faith, 100 years old, or 6 years old, or 3 years old, when they come to faith, they come in as a spiritual infant. We come into his kingdom like that. That's how you enter the church. You come in fussy. You come in needy. You come in selfish. And you're going to need to be cared for. You have to be nurtured. You have to be taught, right? If you leave that child alone, hey, I did a lot of work, pushed you out. Like we conceived you, pushed you out. There you go. You're on your own now, right? It's not going to go well for that baby. Now, it's the same is true for spiritual infants. When you come to faith, we can't come to faith and go, woo, done, out of here, Right? All right, you're a Christian now. Many churches do that. All right, you come to faith? Great, now you're on your own. Spiritual infancy is going to lead to, to really, it's going to lead to spiritual death. Right? If that person's not nurtured, we call it discipled, trained up in the way that they should go. Babies make messes that their parents and older siblings have to clean up have to nurture and have to disciple. And that is exactly what Paul is trying to do with this book of 1 Corinthians. He is trying to come alongside these new believers. He's trying to clean up some of their messes. He's trying to teach them how to mature, how to grow up, how to be fully functioning members of society. We have seen over the past few weeks that Paul, he traveled to this really diverse and affluent, this metropolitan city of Corinth. Right? He, he traveled there to make disciples, to plant churches, to work in the city for the renewal of all things. And he did that. This is, what, this is interesting. Well, How is his method? Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, said that he came preaching Christ crucified in weakness. He didn't come in with a swagger. He came in trembling with one message only, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I love it because it said there last week when Sam preached, it said that he decided... He decided to come among them in weakness with, and preaching only Christ crucified. That means he made a decision, a cognitive effort. He saw the city. The city was just overwhelmed with people wanting to hear. It's called Sophia, this, this earthly, worldly wisdom. Show us something flashy. Show us something fun. You know, prick our minds. Intrigue us. We want to see something. Uh, we want to see rhetoric in, you know, just some flashy rhetoric. We want to have our minds tickled and then we want to walk away. We don't want to really be changed. And Paul said, I see what you want and I say, no, I'm going to come in weakness. I'm going to come preaching a dead and resurrected Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's what I'm going to come. I'm going to come in Christ and him crucified so much for being seeker sensitive, right? Right? Paul comes in and says, I'm going to give you the opposite of what you want. But what we see is that God has used that message. Even though it's contrary to normal man's wisdom, God somehow used it. The message of the crucified Son of God, when Paul preached it and he proclaimed it, that message, here, this is important, that message actually produced an outcome. The preaching of the gospel actually produced a powerful response in many of the people who heard it. This is what Paul meant last week when he said that his message was not in plausible words of wisdom, but it was in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. See, demonstration of the spirit and power does not mean that Paul was like a sideshow that just did all these miracles to prove that he was an apostle. It means that God saved people through the declaration of the gospel. Paul spoke a foolish message of the Son of God being crucified on behalf of their sins. And in the moment, on the spot, God changed their hearts, giving them the faith to believe the message of the gospel. That is to say that when Paul preached, they were born again. Paul preached They believed and they were born again. And what we see is that the message of the gospel preached and believed creates an immature church. You hear that? The message of the gospel preached and believed creates an immature church. Parents should recognize this. Right? Every time you add another child to your house, things get a little bit closer to crazy. Right? Why? Because you are adding immaturity to your family. Every time you bring a child in, you are bringing more immaturity into your household. Right? More drama. More selfishness. Right? More poopy diapers. More mouths to feed. Right? It's interesting to me that maturity kind of is meant, maturity is meant to bring about immaturity. When individuals mature and grow, they are meant to find a spouse, get married, and then eventually their maturity creates immaturity, right? They make babies. That's what God actually commands us to do from the very beginning. Be fruitful and multiply, And that's what we see here with Paul in the church of Corinth, in the city of Corinth. Paul has grown up. He's matured and now he has literally made spiritual babies in Corinth through the preaching of the gospel. But immaturity, (laughs) immaturity is cute for a season. Right, immaturity is meant to be seasonal. It's meant to be, we're meant to be trained up out of immaturity. It's meant to be left behind for maturity. It's shameful for a grown man or woman to throw a temper tantrum and pitch a fit in the middle of high V. Right, that's shame. Now, on the football field, it's completely okay, but in on the in the grocery store, right? No, it's not okay. But we, we, I want us to see this. right? You watch a little kid, right? It's the walk of shame. It's the walk of death when a mom has got three kids clinging on to her and she's trying to get her groceries and she has to take it through this. T- they just funnel her down. She said no a thousand times. Can I have this? Can I have this? No, no, no. And then they, they funnel her down into this one little lane where everything is within hands, right? and arm's reach of every child. Right? It's a shoplifter's paradise right there. Mom can only slap hands for so long. She gets to the car, kids have got their pockets full already. Right? Now listen, and you say no to that child, what does that child do? We've all seen it. It's either been our child or we've been in a grocery and this is the single people. The single people are the... like, oh that mom, she really needs a control. Just wait. <laughs> Just wait. I mean, just flop on the ground, go red in the face, cause himself to pass out over a lollipop, right? Or it's my kids over chapstick, right? Every one of my kids, as, soon as they see me, mm, mm. see, immaturity is meant to be seasonal. It's okay for a while, but we're meant to grow up. And I'm going to tell you in our culture today, we do not get that. We don't get that, right? There's, there's meant to be an age where men start stepping up and women start stepping up and being accountable. And now you've got 30-year-olds that are acting like 12-year-olds. You've got 30-year-olds still living with mom and dad, just hoping to be discovered one day, hoping that things are just going to change on their own instead of getting pushed out of the nest, right? You know what? That's what eagles do, right? Eagles, they're in their nest. We all like to watch the bald eagles, right? You, well, maybe not all of us, but it's a big thing. Davenport, you go down by the river and you watch the bald eagles. Eagles, they, know, they understand this thing about maturity. Mom looks at the bird. Okay, wings, everything's good. All right, here we go. Boop. Woo, out of the nest. Nope. She picks him back up. We'll try again tomorrow. Right? There is you learn to fly or eventually you're going to splat, right? Eventually you're going to die. And that's what mom does. While the child is still immature, she pushes him out of the nest. That flapping of the wings is meant to create some imp- to create some maturity to cause this thing to grow up. Eventually that thing's going to be flying. It's going to be, right, regal, right? We, we go down and we look at these birds because they're absolutely regal. But they all start out as a little, looks like a chicken trying to, fl- you know, save its life, right? When it's falling out of the sky. Parents. That's what we're doing to our children. We need to push them out of the nest. We need for them to mature, right? And if you pay for every single thing in their life, all the way through college, they're not going to mature. They're not. They need to get a job. Even if it's mowing the grass or shoveling some snow, they need to do more than just, you know, he studies. So he needs to spend 18 hours playing video games. It's his downtime, no, push him out of the nest. All right. So that's what Paul's kind of talking about in this section. And it's about to get pretty heady, but he's, he's talking about, um, growing up, growing up into maturity. And we're, I, want, I want you to see this. Open up your Bibles. We're going to go there right now. First Corinthians chapter two, verse six. <clears throat> Look at this right here. Right away, building on what we talked about last week, Paul says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom among the mature. Now, here is what we're going to see right here. We see this word mature, right? The mature, right? Next week, he's going to call the Corinthians spiritual infants. He's going to call them babies, all right? So what I want you to see is in Paul's theology and in Paul's worldview and Paul's mind, there are three types of people. Okay? There are those outside of Christ, those who are unbelievers, those who are on the outside and they just don't get the gospel, they don't get the cross. It looks like foolish to them. Those are unbelievers, all right? I think there's there's unbelievers in this room this morning. And then there's the other two types of people, and both of these two types of people are Christians. So they're all these are Christians, but they are babies on this side—spiritual babies—they just come to faith, and then the spiritually mature. Two types of Christians, and I think there's—that's a sliding scale, right? It's a sliding scale. We, we probably—if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you are somewhere on that spectrum of immature to mature. And again, if you just came to faith, okay, you're mature, you're immature. That's okay. It's okay to be immature if you just come to faith. But if you're 20 years old, right? Or if you've been a Christian for 20 years and you're still immature, that, there's something wrong with that, right? There's something wrong with the 20-year-old who's still wanting to nurse, right? There's something. We, we need to get off of that, right? It just weirds me out, right? It just weirds me out, right? We see this on the talk shows. Little eight-year-old walks up to mom, asks for a snack. It's weird. Right? That's just weird. We get that. Babies are meant to grow up and be weaned. Right? Paul is trying to wean these believers. He's trying to bring about some maturity. So, but to the mature, he says. Listen, I... Well, do I want to go there? This, is, this, this blows my mind here because Paul does the exact opposite all, so many times of what we would expect. And he is trying to, sh- to show a clear distinction between man's wisdom and the wisdom of God. And we, we, we so want him to take man's wisdom approach and Paul just refuses to do it. Look, look right here. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. All the rulers of Jesus' day rejected him, right? They they would look at him and they'd go, ah, come back tomorrow. I'd like to hear a little bit more about this. Some of them laughed at him. Some of them go, all your learning has just made you crazy, right? The message of Jesus, the message of the gospel was foolishness to them. They, They just didn't get it. But look at, look what Paul says here, verse seven, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, this is where Paul does something we don't expect. See, Paul does not give us anything new. The Corinthians are crying out for more wisdom. They, wanted, they want the world's wisdom. They want the flashy wisdom. Paul said last week, I give you nothing but Christ and him crucified. And then he says this week, but for the mature, I do got a little something special for you. And we're like, yes, what is it? He's about to talk eschatology. Eschat- I can't even say it. Right? He's about to talk eschatology. What does that mean? The end times. He's about to get something. He's about to go really deep and give us some new message. But Paul doesn't do that. When Paul wants to speak to the mature, he doesn't give them anything new. He just drills down deeper in what he already said in 2, chapter 2, verse 2, that I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now listen, I have been a part of the church long enough to know that there are many people here this morning who say things like, I am just, I'm tired of Christianity 101. Get me to the good stuff. Why do we talk about the gospel over and over and over? Why are the sermons gospel-centered? Why is the missional community curriculum gospel-centered? Why is the, are the fight clubs gospel-centered? Right? Let's grow up. Let's mature. Let's get to more advanced stuff. Right? Like when's the earth going to explode? I want to know that. I've been around so many. I want to go. I want to advance into the deeper stuff of God. But what we see here is that Paul does not give the mature a different gospel or a more advanced gospel. Listen, he just goes deeper into the gospel. So many people, and I think it's because of preachers and the way we've preached the gospel over the last. 30, 40, 50 years. So many people think that the cross is the message that makes new believers. But then believers need something more to grow up. Listen, when you get down to it, the cross is really simple, right? The cross is really simple. I can ask my son, what did Jesus do? Why did Jesus come? Oh, he came to die for us. He died for our sins. He died upon the cross for our sins. You can't get much more simple than that. But the but it's like it, it, it need oh, I can't I'm not struggling. It's really simple. But if you the deeper you go into it, the more complex it gets. The more beautiful it gets. The more um, intriguing it gets. See, many of us in the church we equate. The gospel with an evangelistic sermon. And we think that believers now need something more in order to grow into maturity. But right here, Paul says no. And actually, I'm going to have you flip over to 2 Timothy real quick. You're going to go to the right a little bit. I'm just going to show you something real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. When you're there, say there. Here we go. For the time is coming, this is Paul writing to his protege Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves, teachers look, to suit their own passions. And they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and they're going to wander off into myths. They're going to wander off into myths. Listen, there is no other gospel There is no other gospel. And people in our generation, people in our day, people of all times, they want to gather themselves together, teachers that tell them what they want to hear. Tell me how to be awesome. Tell me how to get prosperous. Tell me how to get healed in my body. Tell me how to get my marriage together, and get my family together. We don't want to hear the unadulterated gospel most of the time. We want somebody to tickle our ears and tickle our fancy. But the preaching of the gospel, Paul says, I refuse to do that. I'm not going to give you something other than the gospel. I'm going to give you the gospel, and then when you think you get the gospel, I'm going to take you deeper into the gospel and blow up your worldview. And that's what Paul's trying to do this morning. Now listen to me. For the the apostle Paul, believers never move beyond the message of the cross they just go deeper into it. For the Apostle Paul, believers never move beyond the cross. They just go deeper and deeper and deeper into it. The same message that makes Christians, through the power of the Spirit, that causes them to be born again, that same Spirit matures Christians. The same gospel matures Christians through the power of the Spirit. That's what we're going to see in verses 10 through 13. It's all about the Spirit's work in salvation. So, let me just kind of give you a, a little bit of a definition. Listen, what is spiritual maturity? Spiritual maturity is displayed in a person's life by the message of the cross. Christ crucified. By that message... Working itself down into the deep and dark corners of a person's life. See, if you have a house, your front room, it might be swept well. It might be clean. It might look spotless. But how's your basement? How's the laundry room? Spiritual maturity is when the gospel gets into those areas. Gets into the stuff you don't want nobody to see. You don't want nobody to go to the laundry room. Right? There's a lot of reasons for that. You don't want nobody to go to the laundry room. You want nobody to go to the basement. All right, this I got to tell this story. It's really gross, but I got to tell it. Yesterday, I'm cleaning the basement. And about a year and a half ago or something, we, we, we saw some... Um, Mouse droppings, and we thought, oh crap, we got a mouse, so we got to put it and my wife she didn 't get you know the original old school traps that just whoosh, right just take their head off right She got these new little supposed to be humane or something sticky traps right Well, we caught the mouse, we caught the mouse after a week or so, and uh, I threw all the traps away, or so I thought, and it was about a year and a half ago, and yesterday i 'm cleaning the, cleaning the garage. I discover there was one of those little sticky traps that had been sitting there for a year and a half. Right, My basement doesn't look that bad, I didn't think. I pulled the sticky trap out. Not only is there a mouse, well, what was a mouse on it, but there's about 50 tarantulas, I swear. Right, Huge spiders, red. I'm looking at this like, oh my goodness. I go up and show my wife, I'm showing Jab, I'm like... I don't know. It must attract them or something, right? It was disgusting, right? That is my basement, right? That's the, listen, that's the dirtiness. That's the scariness. That's the nastiness that the gospel needs to get down into. And guess what? Every one of our souls has cracks and kept crevices like that, that we want to keep covered up. We want to keep hidden. We don't want nobody to know about it, Right? Spiritual maturity is when the gospel gets in those cracks and crevices and brings light and cleans them out and renews them. And how does that happen? Well, the spirit takes the gospel... And applies it to the ugly places of your heart and then works out its implications, shaping then every aspect of your life. It shapes your affections. It shapes your dreams. It shapes your desires. It shapes your loves. It shapes your goals. It shapes your relationships, your work life, your hobbies, and even your thought life. See, it gets everywhere. That's what it means to grow up into maturity. It, it's just going deeper into the gospel and having the gospel, the message of the cross, go deeper into us. And listen, that's not just intellectual. And it doesn't just mean you can study more, right? I I, I want to go deeper into statistics, so I just read more books and I just study. No, you can't do that. It's good to study more, it's good intellectually to go deeper into the cross, but the Spirit of God must apply it to our heart. But how does that happen? There's a lot of confusion about this. How does that actually happen? Okay, Justin. I can't do it intellectually, so the Spirit has to apply it to my heart, so I just sit around and wait for the Spirit to do some spiritual surgery on me? How, how do I do this? I think Paul shows us here. I think Paul shows us here. I think Paul gives us a glimpse of how to do that. And I think that's what I'm going to try to do this morning, and that's what hopefully we can see that this morning. And this is, what he, this is what, basically what Paul's going to do. So Paul is going to do this. In order for the cross to go deeper into you, or in order, order for you to go deeper into the gospel, the first thing that we have to do is actually go higher. Now, this is the, the picture that I, uh, that I envisioned here, was if I'm wanting to go into the Grand Canyon, right? If I stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, it is absolutely massive, absolutely vast, Right? And if I want to take a trail and I want to go down and I want to discover uh, its depths, right? If I want to go down deep into it, what's really helpful first is actually to get a better picture of it from above, so I can Google Earth that mug, right? Or I can take a helicopter over it, and I can look down and say, "Whoa, OK, I definitely don't want to go that direction." right? And I think that's what Paul's going to do with the gospel right now. He's about to take us up to its heights. To give us a better glimpse of it. And then he's going to let it take it down deep into our hearts and take us down deeper into it. So look how he does that in verse 7. But we impart, impart means preach, proclaim. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now I can imagine the people sitting there like, ooh, secret and hidden wisdom. Special sauce. This is good stuff. What's he going to give us, right? But Paul doesn't give them anything new. That's what he says. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Well, what is he imparting? We already know what he's imparting. He's already told us in two. Chapter two, verse two. What's he imparting? Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the only message he's got. So to the mature, he's, he's imparting Christ and him crucified. But look how he's doing that. Which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now that word right there on decreed. Which God decreed. That is the Greek word proorizo. What does that mean? It means to. It's used six different times in the New Testament. And it means to predestine. Or to be foreordained by God. To predestine. Or to be foreordained by God. Paul says here that the message of the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified. The secret and hidden wisdom of God. God actually decreed. He actually set it in stone. He predestined it from eternity past for our glory. Now what does that mean? There are actually two very poignant and powerful concepts here. They're actually bookends. That we need to search out and study. What does it mean that God decreed his wisdom? He decreed Christ crucified. He decreed it from before the ages. And what does it mean that it's for our glory? I thought God, we saw two weeks ago, that God is actually for God. That God's about himself and about his glory. What does it mean that Jesus Christ and him crucified was decreed before all the ages for our glory? And again... We're not just, listen, I'm not talking about predestination and our glory because for some intellectual reason, and neither is Paul. Paul's not, I'm just going to blow their mind with predestination. You know what? I really want to give them something to fight about. Here we go. Predestination. Figure it out. doesn't mince words every word is just divinely inspired by God the reason God says God has predestined this before the foundations of the world is because it's meant to do something in them it's meant to show them something it's going to pull them out and give them this aerial view of the Grand Canyon why Paul is showing him very specifically, this is important for your spiritual maturity. You want to go deeper in the gospel? You better get a bigger picture of the gospel. You better see it from eternity past, and you better see it in eternity future. Paul's statement here, it's actually just shorthand. It's the bookends to what Paul says clearly in Romans 8.28. Through thirty. So, what I want you to do, you're going to turn the page left, just a few chapters, to Romans eight. Turn the page left, a few chapters to Romans eight, verse twenty eight. When you're there, let me know and say there. This is a, a Christian wanna, You know, you probably got this on a coffee cup at home. This, is a, or maybe even a T-shirt. This is one of the Christians' favorite verses right here, and we know. That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Amen. But how can I be sure that all things will work together for my good? Great question. Paul will answer that in verse 29. For those whom He, God, foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And look at this. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, look at this word, he also glorified. Now, this right here is called the ordo salutis you know what the Ordo Salutis is? It's a little technical jargon. It's a Latin term. And in theology, it means it's the order of salvation. It's also called the golden chain of salvation. Christ has accomplished salvation for us, but the Spirit applies it to a person's life in stages. It's a golden chain. Everything's linked together. The first thing Paul says here in Romans 8, You're foreknown. To be foreknown by God does not mean foreseen. Like he looked down the corridors of time and he said, that guy is awesome. I want him. I draft him on my team. Known is not that sense. It's loved. It means to be foreknown means to be foreloved by God. God sets his love on us in eternity, before the ages, before we're born. Before we're in a thought in our mother's mind or father's mind, then God chooses us. Why does He choose us? Because He loves us. Why does He love us? Deuteronomy tells us this, it just clears it really up. Clears it up nice and straight, nice and clear for us. He says, I chose you because I love you, and I love you because I love you. You love me because? Yeah, okay. He loves us because he chose to love us. That's it. Nothing good in ourselves. We didn't earn his love. Then he sends the spirit to clean us up, to set us apart, to prepare us all our lives, to prepare us for the day we're going to hear the gospel and then we're going to respond. Right? That's the, finally, we hear the gospel. We respond and we believe it and we're born again. How are we born again? Jesus Christ was crucified and then was resurrected he has the power then when we believe that we are born again and his blood is literally sprinkled on our soul which is a spiritual way of saying our sins have been forgiven but that's not all then the next link in the chain we grow in grace We grow in sanctification. We become more and more and more like Jesus. And all during this process of sanctification, God is holding on to us. He's shielding us. He's keeping us by his power until the last moment in history when suddenly God shows up and he wipes all of reality clean. And the glory of God comes down into our lives and we we receive the final end of it all, which is we are made perfect. There it is. Foreknowledge leads to election. Election. Election leads to calling, calling or predestination, predestination leads to calling, calling leads to rebirth and rebirth leads to regeneration and then regeneration through repentance and faith and the sprinkling of the blood that leads to sanctification that leads to obedience that leads finally to glorification on the last day. And all of that is in verse seven. He says, the golden chain of your salvation started with God in the beginning of all things. Before he created the world, started saying, I will have a church. I will have a bride. I will have those who will be pure and clean and spotless. But guess what? I know they're not going to get there on their own. These people cannot get there on their own. So it begins with God's decree. God's predestination is where it begins. But look where it ends. It ends with our glory. It ends with our glorification. One day, this wretched body, this broken body, this sin-infused and sin-inflicted body will be made right, will be made pure, will be made new, will be made like Jesus and I'll be glorified. Begin. We see the book ends here. Of salvation. See, this is what Paul's doing. Paul is brilliant. Oh, you want some wisdom, huh? Look, you need something a little more than the gospel. I see. Cross is just boring you. Oh, okay. Cross is boring you. Boom! Pulls out. Comes up and says, Oh, did you know it started before you were born? Did you know you're here not because of your work, but because you were predestined and you're going to get To glory, not because of your work, but because of his bookends of the golden chain. I love this because we get to see Paul's mind here. This is not how I make disciples in my own, on my own. This is not how I train up a child on my own. If I see some immature believers, this is not the kind of stuff. Okay, I'm just going to give them a bigger picture of the gospel. It's not natural for me, but we get to see, Paul's mind. How do you mature, immature disciples of Jesus? You don't move on to something more advanced. I want more advanced teaching. I want to hear about the end times. I want to talk about blah, 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 blah. Oh, oh okay. You want to uh, the Bible does say some stuff about that. Let's go in here. Oh, you want to know about numbers? Oh, people get all geeked out about numbers in the Bible. Numerology, studying, trying to figure out some Bible code in here. Ridiculous. And Paul says, no. I refuse to entertain you. I refuse to tickle your fancy. We'll go deeper into the gospel by first getting a better view of the gospel, getting a picture of the grandeur of the gospel. He wants them to see the splendor The magnificence, the impressiveness, the glory, the resplendence, the majesty, and the overall greatness of the gospel. And we're going to flip back. Or actually, if you're still in Romans, you can flip to the right. If you're back in Corinthians, go to Romans 16. Let me see it one other place. Because still, so many of us think, Justin, the gospel is for unbelievers, to be made Christians, to be made new, to be born again. And Paul, that's not a category Paul has. Paul says, absolutely not. The same thing that evangelist, the message of evangelism is the same message of discipleship. The gospel makes new Christians. The gospel matures new Christians. Look at Romans 16, verse 25. Paul's doxology as he ends the book of Romans, his most... His best work in all the scriptures, I would, I would say. His most dense theological work. Look, now to him, this is praise going up to God. Now to him who is able, look, to strengthen you. He's preaching to believers. To strengthen you according to my gospel. So Paul's saying that the gospel will strengthen believers. Look, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. But now it's been disclosed through the prophetic writings that have been made known to all nations. Look, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, glory forevermore. The same message that makes Christians matures Christians. And look, it's end result. So many people get caught up with, okay, the gospel of grace, that, I, that just means I can get to do whatever I want. We see right here that the end result is to bring about the obedience of faith. The gospel of grace is meant to bring about the obedience of faith. It's meant to mature us. It's meant to push us towards our future selves, which is glorified selves. So, you want to grow? What do you need? Paul shows us here. You want to mature. You want to grow up. You need more gospel. You need more Jesus. And when we get a glimpse... When when through the Spirit of God, like Paul's trying to do, we pull back and we get this huge glimpse of the Grand Canyon, we get this huge glimpse of the glory of the gospel that started before we we're even born and it ends in our future glorification in heaven and a newly created earth. When we pull back and we see the grandeur of this, look what happens in verse nine of Corinthians chapter two. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Listen, when we talk about glory and we talk about being glorified and we talk about heaven and we talk about the new creation, we can't picture that. I don't think we have a category for it. It's better than anything we've ever seen. It's better than anything we've ever heard. It's better than anything we've ever even imagined. But I want you to see here. And that's what, I mean, Paul's kind of worshiping here. But look who he's talking to. Who is this place prepared for? No eye has seen, no ear heard, no the heart of man imagined. Well, God has prepared what? For those? Whoa. God's salvation. His plan to renew all of creation, making it all perfect. Even us can't even be described adequately. It's too immense. It's too sophisticated. It's too beautiful. But look here, it has been prepared for those who love God. Now we are, this is Paul's second point here. First point, he wanted us to see the grandeur of the gospel. Now he's going to drill down deeper into the gospel. And he's going to say this. It's not the gospel. Making yourself a Christian, believing the gospel, maturing, it's not something you can do. It's something that has been done for you. Maturity is not something you can do. It's something that has already been done for you. Now, this is where we get to see the stark difference between between Christianity and every other religion on the planet. Every religion on the planet gives you something to do, gives you steps in a process to earn your way in, to earn the God's favor, to procure a blessing from the gods. You, you know, the the list looks different. Be nice. That's our secular culture right there. That's our secular cultures, uh, religion. Be nice. Second one. You know, or just many, all the world religions are different. Be nice, right? Don't smash bugs, right? Read this book, pray in this direction five times a day, go door to door and pass out literature. Every religion is basically trying to get you to obey some rules to fit in and to be accepted. And many people, especially in our context and especially in our culture, many people mistake Christianity for the same thing. But it's actually completely opposite the other world religions. Christianity, Christians, this is so ridiculous. Christians go so much deeper. Christianity says, no, 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 no. There's not a list of things that you have to do. All you have to do, if you want to be accepted by God, all you have to do is love God. Now, on the surface, that kind of goes, you kind of, oh, sweet. Because I kind of have this general affection for this big guy upstairs. Right? We want to kind of interpret love on whatever grounds that we think in our mind love is. But I, I don't want you to miss this. See, so many people think becoming a Christian and then growing in the faith means conforming my life to some set of standards. But you can do all those things without actually loving God. Let me me show you this picture. Here's the standard. Love God. That's basically just a recapitulation of the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. Or as Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That sounds easy. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means there's nothing in the created world that can even compare to the way that you love God. That standard... Is impossible to keep. I'm just gonna let you know that. But when we make lists, those lists are all, they can all be kept. But God doesn't really care about the, the list keeping, He cares about the heart. What I mean by that is this I can tell my son, Javin, go clean your room. And he knows if I argue, I'm probably gonna get a spanking, so I'm just gonna go up there. And I hear him up there about three, four minutes, and I hear doors slamming, right? I hear this ain't fair. Right? I hear stuff like Zoe made this mess, right? I hear stuff like that. I can go in later and I can p- pull that bed up and I can see everything is stuffed under the bed. Now what's it, what I'm, what am I getting at? You can obey rules, you can technically do what someone says, but you can do it while hating the other person. Right? You can obey rules just because you don't want to get punishment. And I think there's many people that try to obey the rules of Christianity because they don't want the punishment of God. And Paul says, no, 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 no. This is heaven. Glorification is meant for people who actually love God. Now that is an impossibly high standard. And what Paul is saying is to the Corinthian church, You can gather together. You can take communion together. You can sing songs together. You can do all these things. You can serve the poor. You can give your money. And you can still not love God. And what Paul is saying is mature Christians actually love God. Think about that standard. What if we went out? On the street and I just pointed to a random person and I said, you want to get to heaven? Yeah, I do. Okay, this is love that person. I don't know that person. How do I know they're going to love me? What does it look like? Now, listen, you might be able to go do some loving things for that person, right? You might be able to serve that person and maybe pay for their dinner, do some. But can I command you? Can I command you to have a heart, an affection, a, a response? Can you just also, oh, oh. How, you can't command someone to love someone. Well, I can't. I can't change, I can't get into your heart, your affections, your soul and, and, and knit you to that other person so that you will love them. Not just do loving things, but actually love them. But God is so audacious that he says only people who love God and Jesus went overboard with this. Jesus literally said, this is how you know you're in heaven. This is how you know you get the kingdom of God. You love me more than you love your mama. More than you love your kids. And he didn't just say it like that either. He said it even crazier. He said, you better hate your mama and hate your kids in comparison to your love for me. How do you do that? I don't think anybody's sitting in the crowd when Jesus says that and goes... Yes, I'm in. We see it with a rich young ruler. Rich young ruler walks up to Jesus, says, Jesus, what must I do? Right? And Jesus gives him a couple commandments. He's like, hey, I've been doing all those since I was a kid. He just, I mean, this guy is just dripping with pride. He's just dripping with, I'm a good old boy. I give my money. I tithe. I serve the poor. There's probably, but but every person has this aching inside of them. They know there's something they're missing. I don't feel quite complete. So he's going to Jesus and he just, Jesus, just give me that one little thing I'm lacking. Just give me that little pop on the butt. You know, t- just I just need a little boost and then I'm there. And Jesus, again, so seeker sensitive. He goes, oh, Yeah. There's just one thing to the rich young ruler. He just one thing. Go sell everything you own and give it to the poor. What does it say? Rich young ruler goes away sad. Why? His God, he loved his money more than he loved his God. See? And Jesus knew that. And Jesus could have coddled him. He could have coddled him into the community. Oh, you're so good. You're such a moral and upright individual. Hey, let's just work on this and let's just talk about it and let's just work it out. Sit down in some therapy, $150 an hour, 400 sessions. Right? We'll do this for a long time. We'll work it out, drip by drip by drip. But Jesus doesn't. He says, oh, you are awesome. There's one thing. You love your money more than you love me, deuces. That's the message interpretation. <laughs> and it says he went away sad. He went away sad. This guy looked at the Son of God and said, No thanks. My money that I can put in my hand is more valuable to me than you, than salvation, than eternal life, than glorification. He is the definition of a fool. How many of us are in the same position? Something else in our life, something that we can touch and we can hold on to for 30, 40, 50, 60, maybe 100 years is more meaningful to us than Jesus Christ himself. And yet the standard never gets dumbed down. The standard is always love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's the only way to heaven. That's the only way in. Love him above everything else. If he said give away everything, you'd give away. If he says move to Africa, be a missionary, you'd move to Africa, be a missionary. And God does that. And God does ask that. And God does require that of some people. Could you do that? Now, look at verse 10. These things... God has revealed to us through the spirit. Okay, stop, stop, stop. So Paul doesn't go all those idiots out there that don't get the gospel. You guys are finally, you know, you graduated. You went to good schools. You guys are wealthy. You guys, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say you've earned it. You figured it out. You've made it. He says to us. Those in the church, those who have received. It's because of the Spirit. What? God decreed it. The Spirit has applied it. He's doing it. He's done it. Keep reading. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. This whole text is very Trinitarian. You see the Father, you see the Son, you see the Spirit. Our God exists in a trinity For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. That right there, that should check us. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. I have friends who are atheists and they always say to me, I can I don't like the way God does this. If He was God, why would He do it like this? If He was God, why would He do it like this? If He was God, why would He do it like this? Hold on. If He's God, He can do it however He wants to do it. He's God, and the Spirit doesn't make sense to the natural. That's what. That's the problem in Jesus' day. That's why people didn't reject Jesus because God does things opposite the way we expect Him to do them. He doesn't come as a king with. Trumpets blasting, right? He doesn't come out of the sky in royal robes, fully mature. How does he come to us? As an immature baby. Jesus Christ, he should be the one that tells us it's okay to be immature for a season, right? He grew in in the spirit, he grew in stature, he grew in wisdom. Jesus grew. He comes in a baby. Exact, I mean, we can't even get our minds around this. So contrary to our wisdom, keep reading. Verse 13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but here taught by the spirit interpreting, quote unquote, spiritual truths. It's really gospel shorthand there to those who are spiritual. So he's saying this, our message, the message of the cross makes sense to people that the spirit has awakened, the people that the Spirit has caused to be born again, our message makes sense to them. It's a spiritual truth for spiritual person. People, it does not make sense to our natural mind. Keep reading, he'll clear that up. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, listen to this. Do you love God? Do you love God? And listen, you might say, hey, I think I do love God, but I know I don't love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind and strength. I think I got this little bit of a boom, 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 boom for Jesus. I got a little bit. Now, I I want you to hear this. If you even have a little bit of affection, a little bit of love for God, if you're beginning, maybe you're brand new, maybe you just came to faith, maybe you're coming to faith right now as I preach the gospel. If you have any affection for Jesus, Paul wants us to know it is only because God has already set his love upon you. He's already chosen you. He's already given his spirit to reveal it to you. Look at verse 14. No one. No natural people can hear the wisdom of God in the cross without the Spirit of God revealing it to them. That means no one loves God without God first loving them and calling them and sending His Spirit to them to give them the eyes to see, the ears to hear, and the hearts to love Him back. Without the Spirit of God, listen to this, I love it, John Calvin said this, We're like asses at a concert, totally disinterested in the music. That's what we are without the spirit of God. Totally disinterested in God, totally disinterested, especially in loving God, loving him. That's why Paul said in verse 8 that none of the rulers of the day understood it. They were spiritually deaf. Paul says, if they would have heard it and understood it, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Mm, That's a good term. I wish I could have more time to spend on that. That's the only time it's used in the New Testament. Paul is perfectly clear here that God had not unveiled the gospel to the unbelievers, to the rulers of the age. He had not unveiled it to them. He had not given them the faith to believe. He had not opened their eyes. They could not see the wisdom of God in a suffering Savior. And so, by God's sovereign decree, they killed Jesus Christ by crucifixion. And God, in His eternal wisdom, uses the death of Jesus as the decisive event to save us and to sanctify us and to cause us to be born again. And now on the other side of that event, the spirit of God allows us to see the cross and to hear its music and to see its beauty and to feel God's love for us. That's what Paul means in verse 13 when it says that we are being taught by the Spirit. Listen. That's why I get so frustrated when people, when I ask people, are you a Christian? And they say, I'm trying. You, you can't try to be a Christian. There is no trying. It's not something you can do. It's something that has been done for you. This is... This is the message of grace This is the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ accomplished it for us. And now when we, when we see the beauty of that, it's the spirit working in our heart to see the beauty, to feel the affection of a loving heavenly father in the cross. And when we say, I believe, and I turn from my sin, the spirit applies it. So we see salvation accomplished and salvation applied for us all by God. God says, love me. And then he loves us and gives us the love to love him. This is how it can be for our glory and also for his glory. No one can love God without God loving them first. You can't become a Christian on your own. You can't mature in Christianity on your own. How do you do it? You see, Paul shows us, go out and then go in. You pull out. You see the grandeur of the gospel from before the ages. Eternity passed in the Trinity and it ends in future glorification. And everything between these two things is all God too. It's not me. I don't have to somehow sit at home and go, love God, love God, love God, love God, love God. Prime the pump, prime the pump. My lover's broke. Come on, eat. I have to look at the gospel. I have to revel in it. I have to see its magnificence. The God of the universe allowed himself to be nailed to a cross for me. What? What love is this? What love is this that melts my heart, that pumps the love of God in me? And now I can love God. He requires what he gives. That's grace. The natural person can't do that, can't see that, can't know that, can't feel that. But I believe through the sovereign decree of God, every person in this room, you are here for a reason. Maybe you've never heard the gospel like this before and God has got you here for a reason to hear the gospel. And I'm praying that he gives you the faith to say, yes, I want that. And he'll give you a heart. He'll cause you to be born again. A new heart to love him with. So as I close this morning, there's only, there's basically two types of people that I want to speak to. First, for those who don't love God, he's kind of irrelevant to you. He's irrelevant to your life. He's tertiary. He's on the outside somewhere. Can I appeal to you this morning to see the hidden and the mysterious wisdom in the cross? That the son of God came to take your place because we don't love God. We don't love God. So God's son comes to earth and Jesus existed in a trinity of love. Okay. A community of Jesus always loved the father. And so listen, Jesus Christ When we look at Jesus Christ, he actually condemns us because Jesus tells us this is how you love God. I lived for thirty-three years on the planet, perfectly loving God. I never, not I never didn't love God. I loved God the Father more than everything else. Everything else was tertiary to me. I love God. So when we look at Jesus, he condemns that. He condemns us. There was a man who loved God perfectly above his mother and above his sisters and above his. He didn't have children. Above all relationships, there was a man who did that. So he condemns us, but the one who condemns us doesn't condemn us. He dies for us. He is condemned for us. Jesus Christ takes our place on the cross. He says, when you see this and you weep and you feel this in your heart, that I'm there because of you and I took your place, that through faith, my perfect record of love will be transferred to you. My perfect record of love will be given to you through grace by the Spirit. So if you're in this room this morning and you don't love God, I'm asking you, do you feel anything this morning? Do you, have you heard, have you seen a little bit of the grandeur of the gospel? Can you feel him tug at your heart? He, all he asks is for you to turn and turn to him and say, I, I think I believe. I love it text in the New Testament. Um, I believe, help my unbelief. I, I believe, help my unbelief. By faith, in the work of Christ, you can be born again. And secondly, to those who are immature, and that's most of us most of the time, I'll just say it. That's most of us. I say this, if we are here, if we're in the faith, if we love God, it's only because he loved us first. If we have any affection towards him, it's only because he's opened our eyes and he's revealed it. He's poured the love of God in us. It's only because of the golden chain of salvation. And I love how this closes. Verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But look at this. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Christian, maturity isn't trying to get something you don't have. You have the mind of Christ. I've been given a new heart, I've been given a new mind. You have, and we know what Jesus did with his mind and what Jesus did with his life. What is the mind of Christ? Philippians 2. You go there, Philippians 2 will tell us it's to humble ourselves, to humble us, to, to be okay with the road that leads to a cross. Christian, there is no ladder to climb to maturity. You have the mind of Christ. What a God who gives what he requires. As we come to the table, let me pray. Spirit of God, only you can produce fruit. Only you can change the human heart. Only you can cause us to be born again. I pray that you would use the words that have been preached and the words that have been spoken to cause new people to become Christians and also to cause immature Christians to mature. You would push them out of the nest. You would show them they have the mind of Christ. They've been given the mind and the heart to love God with. And you would stir our affections. As we come this morning to a table, we don't come to merely bread and wine and grape juice. We come to the body of Christ that has been broken for us Take us deeper into the gospel. Take the gospel deeper into us. As we eat and as we drink and it goes down to every cell of our body. Gospel us. For your glory. And Father, for our joy. Knowing that we are going to get glory too. In the new heavens and the new earth. I ask that you bless this meal and that you bless these believers. In Jesus' name, amen.